If you have ever pondered the idea of buying a bike with your tax return, or perhaps you've felt strapped for cash thanks to your endurance pursuits, then this episode is absolutely for you. Today I interview Lauren Law, co-founder of The Money Bar. She's a financial advisor and accountant. She loves structure and discipline uh, and applies this to her fitness, running marathons, endurance trail runs, treks and bike rides. We discuss the impact that money stress can have on our system, both the physiological system and of course the bank account system. We go into great strategies to manage your cash flow and how to prioritize the hobby spending when it comes to triathlons and large events and how you can save for that in line with your own money values. This is certainly a unique topic for a health and fitness podcast, but I feel it encompasses the holistic lifestyle factors brilliantly because if we're ticking all the boxes in regards to training and recovery, but we're hampered by money stress, we're only going to get so far. I thoroughly enjoyed nerding out on the numbers with Lauren, and I look forward to hearing about the wisdom that you take away from this episode. You've done all the right things. You followed the program, but you're tired and the results are hard to come by. You know there has to be a better way. Perhaps you're struggling to put the puzzle pieces together from training, recovery, nutrition, gut health, to hormone health and optimal wellness. Each season on Healing Grumpy Athletes podcast, your host, Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance, will help put the puzzle pieces together and ensure you can achieve and express your athletic potential holistically. Katie is a self-confessed hormone nerd endurance coach, wellness advocate, and triathlete, here to educate, inspire, and distill wisdom in an effort to shift up endurance norms. Grab yourself an almond latte, a herbal tea, or perhaps a red wine to focus your mind and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Healing Grumpy Athletes podcast. Today, I've got what might be a traditionally boring topic to discuss with our guest today and that topic is finance but this guest is the master of creating finance topics and discussion uh, to be interesting and sexy so i'd like to welcome lauren law to the show she's the co-founder of money bear uh, based out of sydney in australia so welcome lauren Thanks, Katie. It's very exciting. I'm glad that we can make finance sexy for you. <laughs> That's what I was definitely initially attracted to when I found you guys online for accounting services was you have quite a unique spin when it comes to money language and the way you talk about, say, the cash flow and business systems and structures. It doesn't put people off um, as a small business owner or as an individual. So how did that unique uh, message come to fruition? Um, well, look, I think I have to give full credit to Melissa Brown. She'll love this. Um, so Mel is, Mel established ATA, which is the accounting firm, um, and her passion is particularly women in business, but also in terms of just making sure that business is accessible to everyone and everybody can understand it like it's not this great big scary thing that people can sometimes feel like it is um and so she's been running ata now for i don't know probably 15 years i think i lose track um but part of and i you know i've worked for her now and worked with small business and individual clients for um about eight years but 
three years ago, we had this opportunity to be able to start talking about personal finance with clients um, and to become financial advisors, which is very, very exciting. And I know it's, you know, on everyone's bucket list of things to do. Um, but we ended up establishing the money bar purely so we could have these conversations and talk to people about their money, their finances, because all too often we were seeing businesses were doing really well, but then in the personal space, they're like, but we just don't know what to do with the money. Or they were struggling and they were using all their personal finances to get that into, um, you know, pumping that back into their business and not really succeeding therefore in um, both fields. So that was sort of definitely one of the reasons why we wanted to step into the financial planning space. But um, also just to shake things up a little bit, I mean, I think people have probably got a bit of a preconceived idea in terms of what an accountant looks like and how they act and what they do and same for a financial planner and, you know, while we'd been indoctrinated in the accounting space for so long to come into the financial space, was the financial planning space rather, it was kind of fun just to be able to come in and go, well, we're the new kids on the block now and we're mm-hmm. going to do things a little bit differently. Um, and just in sort of apply how we've been doing things for business clients just in the personal finance space as well because, I mean, we want it to be fun because we want to enjoy what we're doing but we also want to make sure that we're getting our message across to clients and they don't see money as this big, scary, unknown thing. So that's kind of how it started, I guess. Yeah, and you are by far the stereotypical accountant and you yourself are a adventure and endurance junkie who can really relate to the listeners of the show in regards to feeling torn with spending in regards to lycra and fancy bikes and new shoes and absolutely (laughs) so i knew you would be perfect to get on the show and be uh, quite relatable in regards to your advice for listeners in regards to how to save for a hobby like triathlon and running and cycling without financially screwing yourself and have the cash flow or uh, there's this great term that you guys use that I love financially cheating on your partner so where you hide money or hide expenses or perhaps not lie about it but not tell the whole truth yes (laughs) and I think a lot uh, of people can would learn from that so where do you start when it comes to clients wanting to make a decision about where to put their money and their money values for spending? Yeah, look, I think the important thing and um, one of the things that we do that might make us a little bit different is that there's no cookie-cutter approach. So I guess in the same way that, you know, when you're um, working with your clients, you totally get that every single person that you see is going to be different, what the goals that they're aiming for are different, how they you know, how their body responds to training and all those things is different. So every plan that you do needs to be custom to that um, one person. And we adopt very much the same philosophy here. Like, sure, we are still going to go through the same process in terms of wanting to understand what it is that you're aiming for. What are your financial goals, both in the short and long term? You know, look at where you currently are now like let's take you back to ground zero and look at the nitty-gritty of how much credit card debt do you have what or you know what money do you have in the bank account 
Um, what other loans and things like that do you have? But then it's about working out a system and a way that we can get your finances on autopilot essentially to help you live now because let's be honest none of us want to go back to uni days of scraping by on two minute noodles all in the hope of you know saving for a new bike and also a house kind of thing so we want to make sure that you can live and enjoy now but without sort of neglecting the future as well and because we know what goals you're working towards then we can help create a plan to help you get there Um, but we also in doing that plan we want to give you the tools and tricks to help you stay on track I mean let's be honest no one's going to be perfect same as you know when we're training some days you just have a completely off or you just write off the entire week and just go mech <laughs> I need to you know it's kind of start again but we're still going to be supporting you to help make sure that you're staying on track um, for whatever those short and long-term goals are that you have in mind so and when it comes to money tools tracking and goal setting if you were to look at what you do with clients and how they present with I guess their most common problems what would be your number one piece of advice when it comes to tools to get financially well oh that is a very good question and I think there's so many apps and things out there now that will help you do it I mean not to give Combank a a plug but you know they've got their system where it's sort of already auto categorizing your expenses and things so I think it's it just depends on the person and how you're going to be I mean I know a lot of my clients are not going to be interested in tracking where every dollar goes and so part of the work that we do with them is sure we're going to get them to trawl through the last 12 months of everything they've spent money on so we can get a feel and an understanding of where all that money goes um but if i wanted them to be tracking their expenses in an app and i've seen it happen where i'm like yep this is what you gotta do and you know it all seems really simple and straightforward a lot of them in the end just go meh i'm just not interested and so Mm -hmm. for us it's about creating a system that works for them um, because we don't want to see them not succeed. So for some clients, it's about having, you know, like the bucket approach or the envelope approach, if you want to talk about when people used to take money out of the bank or get paid their wages in cash. And they, they used to do that? Their separate envelopes. <laughs> um, we're very much doing that. It's like you're creating an account that is literally just for splurging and they know that there's a set amount in there. They can go and just use their debit card everywhere they go and then once the money's gone for the week or the fortnight or the month depending on how often we're topping that account up that's it there's no more splurging but they know that because they can you know look at the bank online banking app on their phone and log in and go ah crap i'm down to 33 dollars i guess you know i'm not going out for dinner this week i'll have to catch up with a friend for coffee instead or we're just going to be staying home or whatever it is it's kind of just creating different systems because I mean even for me as much as I love numbers there's no way that I want to sit there tracking every expense that I do I mean I've already got to do that for my husband's business I'm already doing that for clients the last thing I want to do is be doing that for me so I guess it just depends on what people like Um, but for sure there's different apps and stuff out there that um, people can use all just to use like the free tools like what Combank does and stuff like that just to get an understanding of how your expenses okay yeah so first start with tracking to get a picture of 
where things are at. I was going to... Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you about that bucket approach, which I learned about when I was, I think, 19 when I read The Barefoot Investor yes. book. And I implemented that from a young age. And I haven't asked you this before, but do, do you agree with that principle of putting money in buckets or, quote-unquote, envelopes? Yeah, absolutely. I am a very big fan of that. I mean, yeah, the investor book is awesome, and but it's got that very sort of prescriptive feel to it. It's like, you know, 60% of your living expenses are for this, 10% is, 10% that. Um, and But I think it's a starting point, particularly for people that have never really looked at their finances in this way. Um, that's a really good starting point and I mean I still use the bucket <laughs> approach or the envelopes approach you know I've got my money that I've got for my you know everyday living expenses I have a separate bills account just so I don't even have to worry about it because I don't want that stress we've got enough going on in our lives without having to go oh the car regos due and my electricity bill and I've got to pay the rates this week you know and then suddenly going oh crap where am I going to get that money from whereas Having that envelope in the bucket approach, it's awesome. It's like, great, I know I'm always going to have the money for my bills there. Sure, every 12 months I need to check in and make sure have those bills gone up or whatever that I need to be allocating a bit more money to that or something. But, you know, checking it once every 12 months as opposed to every day and stressing about it I think is a really good approach. And I think it's also then making sure that you've got some money aside to have fun you know, like like I said before, none of us want to be, you know, restricted and feeling like we can't do anything, like we're on some crazy, insane diet and, you know, the whiff of a piece of chocolate's going <laughs> to blow that out of the water. Like, nobody wants to live like that, so. Yeah, I am a big fan of the bucket approach, not just for the bills, but knowing that there is that, what I call it, the mojo account, so the fun stuff can come yeah. from the the dinners and the holidays or the uh, fancy piece of lycra and I think for me the mentality that helped with uh, reducing that money stress was creating a buffer particularly in the the bills account yes I had the regular money going into that bills account and created good cash flow but then what we did was added even extra so that the zero balance was actually $1,000. So there was always money there and we just viewed $1,000 as $0 and there was always an emergency thousand just in case. And it was just that little extra security blanket in that bucket and so it technically never went to true zero. Yeah. That was you deserve the gold star. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Learned from the best, right, Laws? <laughs> um. So have you got, other than that ComBank app you mentioned, are there any other apps you'd like to direct people to? Um, that's a really tough one because they change all the time. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure, sh- I thought the Money Smart website had one as well. I know like for a lot of my clients, we use um, zero cash flow, but that's because they're already used to using zero in their business, so it's really easy for them to Mm. switch over to use um, the zero cash flow app. And again, that's probably about 10 bucks a month um, from memory. So I think that's kind of where we generally push our clients to. And aside from that, we've just found, generally speaking, that clients that don't use zero and are a bit nervous with the money, prefer just to kind of have the buckets and not have to track every dollar. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, there's um yeah, it would just be doing a quick Google and just finding, I guess, an app that's going to work for you. Yeah, for the number nerds that do want to do it, I've been a fan of the Wave apps. It's much as it's an American-based platform uh, for the Aussies. It, I still find it's applicable uh, unless yep. you're trying to get into complex GST and tax laws. It's not going to work for you. But from a personal finance tracking uh, for simplicity to know where your money's going in and out, that, that would be my recommendation for sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Wave is good actually. I think and yeah, like you said, it's good when it, if as long as you're not complicated business kind of thing, then yeah, that's still another good option as well. Yeah, for the businesses, I think zero is the the main way to go. The um, other thing that might come up for people when they track those finances, if they do go down that path, or they might not even need to track their finances to know this, but straight up they'll say right all my money not all my money majority of my splash spending is going on triathlon slash endurance based pursuits yeah what do i do about that (laughs) oh look i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing there's worse things you could be spending your money on but i think it's about coming to terms with again back to ground zero and seeing how much do you actually spend and when you look at that figure in over a 12 month period and look at it as a percentage of what your overall income is how does that sit with you and how do you feel about it because if your reaction is like oh my god I cannot believe I've spent that much on this then that's kind of going to be your indication that hey we've need to put some changes in place and some parameters to help rein that spending in. Um, And so what you might find is that you're actually not spending as much as you feel like you are when you weigh it up against everything that you earn. So a good way to kind of get a bit of a gauge for it is, and this is obviously a very simplified example, but let's just say you earn 100K a year. Um, You know, after tax, you end up with, say, 75K in the bank over the course of the year. So we know roughly um, that you're going to spend about 60% of that 75K on your living expenses, your everyday, day-to-day stuff, be it rent, your mortgage repayments, your bills, groceries, buying clothes, getting your hair done, gym memberships, all that kind of stuff is generally going to be within, say, 60%. And then you need to go, okay, well, what am I going to spend the other 40% on? And like I said before, I'm always a fan of having that splurge account or your mojo account. And let's say that that's about 10%. That's still leaving you with 30% of your income. And it's like, well, what am I going to do with that? And one, you might, in its simplest form, go, I'm prepared to spend 15% of that on my hobbies and my pursuits and that covers you know bike maintenance um buying a new fancy kit because i'm doing my a event for the year um and you know any of you know the entry to the events and stuff that i want to do as well as you know maybe some coaching um or some other expenses you know to help you keep on top of your game you know the physio the podiatrist the massage all those kind of things so you might limit that to 15% and say and with the other 15% I'm going to use that for long-term savings be that saving for a house or because I want to start investing in you know whatever that might be so if we look at that and say well you were going to spend 15% of your after-tax income um 
on your sports, that's saying that you're going to spend 11.5K a year. And how does that sit with you? Do you feel like, oh, awesome, that's less than what, or, you know, that's heaps more than what I actually spend, so I don't really need to spend that 15%. I'm going to limit myself to 10%. Or, oh, damn, you know, I actually spent 40K last year because I bought a new bike and had to get, you know, all the new paraphernalia and stuff to go with it. So it's about working out what sits the best with you. I mean, if you said to me that I was going to spend, say, 11.5K on bike riding and running alone, I'd be like, what? Are you serious? And, you know, that kind of stresses me. But it stresses me because my the thing that I really want to spend um, my money on is, you know, overseas travel. So in terms of my values and where things sit, I go, I want to be active. I love doing endurance sports because it's something longer term that I can commit to. Um, it helps keep me in shape. I commit to my training. Um, and then I get to, you know, I always choose events that are different to what I've done before or because I particularly love that event. So it's all part of that enjoyment part of my life as well as the benefits of being fit and healthy. But travel is still my main thing. So my, you know, budget, if I was to break it up, is always going to have more money sitting in things for me to go traveling than it is for triathlon. Um, Oh, no, I can't say triathlon because I don't swim, but, you know. <laughs> that was going to be running. one of my questions today. Why haven't you done a triathlon yet? Because <laughs> <laughs> if you saw me try to swim 50 metres in the pool, you'd understand why. All right, my mission is to change that. You can sort my finances. I'll sort your swimming. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Um, yeah, so I think it's where, you know, and where it really sort of comes down to it is, how much do you value your sport and how much do you value it in terms of a percentage of what you're prepared to spend each year on that? And, I mean, obviously my example is very simple. If you're a family and you've got kids and they've got sporting commitments and things like that, your you know your situation and what you, how you're going to spend your money is going to be a very different um picture to mine but hopefully you can start to kind of feel it's like well what means the most to you because despite what social media and everything else is promoting you can't have everything um and so it's about weighing up what means the most to you and then sort of directing your finances to help support that yeah so So it really comes down to values Absolutely. And, that yeah. and being a bit realistic as well. I mean, you might really value your sport, but if you only earn, you, you know, say for whatever reason your family income might be 30 or 40K for the year, we can't really afford to go and spend that 10K on a new bike. So, you know, it's what you value, but also throw in a dash of realism and, you know, make sure that it's actually going to work and everybody's not going to end up throwing things at you and your new bike. Very important. And, I mean, with uh, bike purchases, some people might make that big investment uh, to only keep it for a year. And for others, it's over five years. So I think that's part of the consideration too is when they're making that decision, I guess, same as if you were to invest in the share market. You want to have your exit strategy. And I think that's not quite thought about when purchasing those big ticket items in triathlon in particular uh the focus is in on the color of the bike (laughs) i think we need to be focusing a little bit more on okay i'm buying this bike and i intend to 
uh, use it for racing for one year or two years or five years and therefore the, the finance values are, are shifted around that. Yeah, absolutely. It is definitely all about weighing up those, um, yeah, sort of weighing up the pros and cons for it and looking exactly like saying at your exit strategy and not getting, you know, as hard as it is, not getting sucked into every bright, shiny thing and, you know, comparing yourself when you're at these events and going, oh, wow, that bike's amazing. Oh, I'm going to take my tax refund and buy a new bike just because that one looked good. Like, does it even... It's, does it even match what you need? Is that the right bike? Should that bike even be used for triathlon kind of thing? It's making sure that you're well educated around those big purchases and make sure that it is going to be the right investment. I'll say investment with inverted commas. Yeah, I know. Wrong word, right? You can tell that I've um, manipulated my money language to justify some of my <laughs> triathlon purchases. Uh, I recall... Right. My husband and I do the same with our bikes as well. It's very much... Our investments in our (laughs) I recall a blog post on one of your websites um, that was titled, Should I Spend My Tax Return on a Prada Handbag? And I think (laughs) our listeners could sub in, should I spend my tax return on a bike or uh, new shoes, et cetera, and just sub that in. So that's a good one to link to, actually. I'll put in the the show notes. Uh, I mean... These doesn't have to be just triathlon. I mean, any hobby pursuit or adventure sport uh, and being healthy can be, quote unquote, expensive, but it doesn't have to be, right? Like there are ways to do it within your means. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I was someone that was stepping into, you know, bike riding or triathlon or anything like that to begin with, um, I would be, you know, borrow a bike off a friend you know if especially if you've got people that cycle i guarantee you they've got more than one bike and there is you know a spare bike lying around somewhere that you can at least get out and go and have a try you know a try on and you know and experiment with things and i think it's um you know or you don't have to buy the top of the range bike straight away exactly like you said before maybe get that cheaper bike that's only get really probably going to last you one or two years if you're thinking I don't even know if I want to be doing this sport what am I going to be doing so I think there's definitely sort of ways and means around that and I think it's also even when it comes down to your entry fees and things like that I mean it can really add up if you're suddenly living in Sydney and decide you're going to go and do an event in Perth I mean one you've got your entry fees but then I'm sure you've got all your travel your accommodation all those kind of things and if money's tight but you really want to do an event pick something that's closer to home pick a less well-known event where the entry fees are not going to be as expensive. I mean, if you look at the UTA world, you can go and do a 50K, sorry, the trail running world, you can go and do the UTA 50 in the Blue Mountains and pay over, you know, 200 bucks for an entry, or you could go and do a running wild event, you know, and it might cost you 50 or $60. Like there's really big differences um, in those events. And if you are someone that's, you know, a little bit more cash flow restricted, you might start doing some of those smaller events where the entry fees are less and then suddenly go yeah okay that's my key event that I'm going to do next year that's the only event I'm going to do so then you're funneling all your money to that one event instead of spreading it out over the smaller ones so yeah that's a great way to look at it is uh finding those smaller events that don't have the 
the huge dollar signs attached to them and in the triathlon world there has been a a new <laughs> shift to the way entries are done which i think is um, look it's having the right marketing effect but i don't know if it's the right effect on people's bank balances sometimes uh, so they're now offering payment plans for say ironmans and half ironmans oh okay mm, yes <laughs> that's yeah <laughs> Which it can look enticing, but uh, it does end up costing more. Yes, I guess it's almost like that whole afterpay thing for retail shoppers and all those kind of things as well, isn't it? It's just if we can make it accessible and people don't feel like they're paying as much in one go, then they feel like they're getting a better deal. But in the long run, not really. Yes, exactly. So if someone wanted to choose a big bucket list event... Yeah. And it was in 12 months and they're like, right, this is the gear I need to buy. It approximately costs this. Flights, accommodation and entry cost this. Tallies up. Let's go around number. It's going to cost me $8,000. Yep. What's your next step to ensure that that person can get to that start line with the gear and the tools and the coaching that they, they want behind them? Yeah, I would say you'd almost like it just create like they create a training plan um, for training for that event or working with a coach to be able to get them to that event. It's about going, all right, well, it's eight grand. Um, I need that in 12 months. That means I need to save $153. Yes, my calculator was right that to me. <laughs> Or should I say it's $153.85 a week and go, is that plausible? Does that actually, does my current situation allow for that to happen? And if you're someone that's scraping by as is at the moment, it might seem like that's a huge amount. You think, can I actually do it? And if the goal means that much to you, then you will find the way to fund that you'll look at what you're currently spending and go okay I don't actually need to go out to dinner you know twice a week and I could take my lunch to work three days a week instead of eating out you know five days a week and suddenly I've got my $153 that I need to be saving but mm. I think it's about like anything it's setting that goal you've already set your time frame around it you know how much you're going to need so then it's just hit the ball, you know, hit the ground running and start saving as soon as possible so you don't procrastinate on it and sit on it for three months and then suddenly it's going to be, bear with me while I put my numbers, <laughs> which is really sad that I don't do these things in my head. You know, then it's going to be $205 a week. So we're suddenly talking about having to get that extra 50 bucks a week, which then might seem even more impossible. But by this time, if you've been talking to all your friends and all the people that you train with and everything that, yes, I'm doing this event, you're going to feel the pressure to still commit to it even though you financially can't afford it because you haven't done anything about it for the last three months. So I think the sooner you can take action, the better. Yeah, great point to take away. And uh, I think then the next step, what I see with athletes, is they do need to then look at their values. And so if the decision is between practitioners to support injury management and a coach or a program or a template because there's obviously a spectrum of uh, expenses within that and then there's the gear and all those things that go along with the journey of those expenses what do I have the highest value of Um, so 
let's say there's a, a big knowledge gap uh, and they've got no idea of where to start uh, therefore a, a coach in a program would be of high value someone that has been doing triathlon or endurance for eight to ten years has had a coach for majority of that and has good knowledge isn't going to have as much um, value towards a coach and support so i think that pictures very individual in terms of what to spend in each area because that yes. was one of the, the questions I got in the community when I mentioned that we were going to have this topic about finance. It's, um, you know, how should we view the cost of coaching? And they did think it was a bit controversial with me being a coach, but I don't actually think so. I think it's an important uh, topic to discuss because, and this can go across the services of any board, like paying for an accountant. You know, what yep. dictates someone's hourly rate or monthly rate uh, similar to our industry won't always be how good they are or how good the outcome's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think any of those things like the personal services industry, um, you know, be that me as an accountant or yourself as a coach or um, anything like that is you need to um, – it's so the, I guess the value that you're going to get from it is going to be as good as that relationship. So if you have a great relationship with your coach and you've got this excellent communication and you know that what you're saying and what you're doing is getting heard and this person's got the skills and knowledge behind them to you know, push that back to you in a program and with feedback that matches exactly what you want and what you need, then it's a great investment because you're going to feel comfortable working with that person and you're going to feel awesome because you're going to be starting to see these results. But if you're with, you know, if you're the coach that you've selected is someone that, you know, everyone else was saying was great, but you dread every time you've got to pick up the phone and talk to them or you really dislike the way that they send their programs and everything to you, that's not going to be a good relationship and it's definitely not going to get you the results that you're wanting because you're going to be constantly feeling like you're butting up against a wall or you're just you know you if there's just not that link and that connection it's not going to work so it is going to feel like it's a waste of money so I think with any of those things it's always about doing your recon making sure you know what you're looking for when you're looking for a coach um, and then making sure that you know, talk to more than one person. The first person you speak to might seem amazing. They might be telling you everything that you feel like you want to hear and you need to hear. And then you might talk to two others and go, oh, wow, they actually do this, this, and this. Or this, that person, I actually clicked better with them and I had a better connection and I feel like they understood me better. So you're going to go with them regardless of whether or not they're, you know, 10 bucks a week more expensive or a little bit cheaper because you feel like you're actually getting that value from them. So, it's again, it's always just going to come down to do your research. Don't just go... Well, you know, with the first one or the one that everybody recommends because it just might not be the right person for you. Yeah, that solid needs and wants is key. I've got a blog on our website that is how to find the right coach for you and it, it's genuine in that uh, we want athletes to make the right decision for them, not necessarily come to us as a coaching service because we know we're not for everyone and I think it's important that before people seek out a coach, they've got that uh, lists of needs and wants and it's actually the same for choosing a physio an osteo a massage yeah. therapist etc anything in the service industry don't yep. 
put your money where you're not going to value it and get what you need out of it and do that recon as you said I think that's great advice definitely um one of my athletes actually said that they got a better investment for their overall health from coaching than they did from private health fund so you never know <laughs> how you can justify some of those expenses yeah and I mean even if you were to look at that I mean it's if that's the case they'd be saying oh maybe look at what you know private health insurance you signed up to because the same thing you don't want to be throwing away money for something that you know you're just not going to use if you've got this policy that's got all the bells and whistles and gives you access to all these type of therapies but at the end of the day all you ever do is go to the physio get your teeth checked twice a year and have your hospital cover for that time that you do stack it on the bike and really need some help then you don't need all the other bells and whistles necessarily so it's still about again you think you're hearing about it but it's just doing taking the time to do that research and that recon and you know maybe it is about committing to something every month and going okay I'm thinking I want to you know be coached so this month I'm going to research um do recon around the you know top five coaches that I think I'd like to work with and you know have an appointment and choose a coach by the end of that month and then the next month you might go all right we're about to hit April my private health insurance is you know I'm sure I can be getting a better deal or I'm paying for things that I just don't need um I'm going to actually spend the time and the one thing I'm going to achieve for my finances for this month is looking at my private health insurance and finding the right policy for me because you still want to make sure that you've got cover if that's something that you believe in but you want to make sure you've got the right cover and the right level of cover at a premium that you're happy with so I love how practical you are brilliant brilliant (laughs) guess that's why you do what you do right well, it's because I can play with numbers and processes and procedures and not so much the words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you guys have got a bit of a new course or program, the 30-Day Financial Cleanse. Yeah. Tell us more because I feel like I want to make every athlete <laughs> complete this 30-Day Financial Cleanse. <laughs> Look, I think it comes back to... You know, even if we were to go back to the Barefoot book, I know so many people that have bought that book. I mean, there's a reason why it's been the number one seller for however long. Um, But I also know of those people that at least half of them haven't actually read it. So they've done the first step. Oh, wow. Buying the book, just haven't read it. Um, And so Mel obviously wrote her new personal finance book as well. And on the back of that, she kind of went, well, I don't want people to do the same thing. I don't want them to just buy a book and not read it um so that's kind of how the 30-day financial cleanse came about so it was just an idea that gives you a task or something to do every single day for 30 days including some rest days so it's just like a very good training program um and to step you through working through sort of what you want some of the bad money habits that you might have i shouldn't say bad but you know potential habits that can be improved on or things that you don't even realize that you're doing that could actually be, you know, sabotaging your financial health, I guess. So, you know, are you someone that always just purchases things on the credit card? And yes, you pay it off every month. But how many of those purchases you're putting on that credit card are a conscious spend as opposed to, you know, just going, oh, yeah, pay wave, pay wave, buying this, buying that without actually thinking about it. And then, of course, you pay it off at the end of the month. Don't give 
you know, second more thought to any of it and the cycle repeats and how much of that stuff do you actually need? So the 30-day cleanse was all about giving you, in most cases, a smallish task to look at every day. So when you came out at the end of it, you're like, wow, I feel so much better. Mm. Um, But of course, if 30 days is too condensed, if life just isn't going to let you do that, you can do it, you know, over a 90-day period or you have access to it as long as you want to have access to it. Because I think sometimes you might do the 30-day cleanse, but it might be something that you want to revisit every 12 months. Um, Just to, you know, tidy up those things that you've been doing or to um, kind of have that check on any unconscious habits that have sort of just slipped back in over that period of time. It's similar to mindfully eating or mindfully exercising and being conscious of that moment in time about how you're feeling and what you're doing and not trying to juggle 10 things at once. And I've never thought about finance in this way until you were just speaking, but it sounds like money mindfulness. It's just being conscious of the decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so often we're just, you know, we're just bombarded with marketing and buy this and you've got to do this and if you buy this, you'll become this. And (laughs) it's kind of, and the ease of payment now, like you don't even have to go to the ATM to get cash out to go and purchase your products. You're literally just tapping your piece of plastic. So we kind of just get caught up or tapping your phone or your watch, depending on what apps and everything else you've got going on. So we just get caught up in this whole, oh, I can have it now. And we're also pushed to, oh, just have it now. Oh, if you haven't got money. Oh, look, just do afterpay. You know, all those kind of things. And it's about drawing a line in the sand and going, okay, hang on what purpose is that actually serving me and am I really spending money where I want to yeah great point you just reminded me of something uh the intention with holistic endurance is we're going to have an online store eventually to help people find and buy all their holistic products in one place and the afterpay conversation came up as to whether we should facilitate that yeah. Uh, the concept behind the, the store is for people to buy in bulk as a to save. Uh, yeah. So rather than visiting multiple shops each week to buy uh, groceries or pantry items or household items, which each visit then opens you up to spend more than you intended to, Yes. the concept behind the store will be to buy in bulk, which I recommend anyway, uh, which people can do now uh, to buy in bulk and buy online and uh, have that regular set up to have it sent to the office or sent to home to avoid that accidental <laughs> uh, spending each time you visit somewhere. Yes, ending up with a trolley full of things instead of just the basket, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a, a great point. And I will put an explicit warning on this episode uh, because the title of that said book is called Unfuck Your Finances. And I think it's truly brilliant, one, because it catches attention, but uh, it does link into the way that you guys speak about finance in a very non-boring way. Uh, It's engaging and it's fun. And before you were talking about people spending habits and what comes up in that 30-day financial cleanse, and correct me if I'm wrong from memory because I have read the book, people can get classified into three categories. Financially fucked, financially resilient, or financially well? 
Yes, they're all the beautiful turns that um, Melissa came out with, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so if any of you are resonating with Financially Fucked, I would jump on the 30 to financial cleanse for sure. Uh, and the book, I have read it and highly vouched for it. I'm a big fan of Mel's writing and what you guys are also doing over on your blogs and articles, which I'll link everyone to. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure there'll be follow-up questions on a finance front. Uh, so I would welcome to have you on the show again. Uh, in the meantime, I'll direct or actually, can you direct everyone where to find you online if they've got follow-up questions or perhaps they want to bring uh, their small business or individual uh, financial planning to you? Yeah, sure. So anything to do with small business, tax, um, anything like that, um, the best place to find out more about us is at byata, so byata.com.au. Um, and if you are interested in... Um, financial advice, sorting out your finances, um, investing interest, anything like that, but generally more the um, strategy on your pers for your personal finance and building your own personal wealth. Um, the best place is themoneybar.com.au and it's money and then bar, B-A-R-R-E, like the ballet bar. Um, and of course, with either of those businesses, we always want to make sure that um, we're the right fit for you and vice versa. So we always offer a complimentary chat with you to figure out what it is that you're looking for and what you want um, and whether or not we can provide that for you. So anyone that's interested is welcome to get in touch. Yeah, great. And I'll link to the social media account so you can get those regular updates of wise words and often funny quotes of the day in relation to the Unfucky Finance book. It's always quite inspiring. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for the chat today. I look forward to hearing what everyone gets from it and everyone um, will that knows Holistic Endurance and gets to know the podcast will know that stress and mindfulness are a big part of these discussions and that was the reason for for lauren coming on the podcast that money is such a big stress for people so if conversations like this can open up that um, conversation to help you get on top of it for just one less stress in your world then that's all we can ask for absolutely and thanks for having me on it was great to have a chat you're welcome